Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show. And today I'm here with Ezra Firestone. And I'm really happy because this is our 100th episode. I uh, started the podcast two years ago and I wanted to have a special guest. So I invited Ezra to this podcast today. And uh, before we start, I just want to give a shout out to Aaron from Australia. He also built a uh, e-commerce brand. It's called Bossel. It's an Australian watch brand. They are a sponsor of the Sydney Opera House, episode 12, if you want to check it out. Uh, really interesting episode. But now let's talk with Ezra. So, hey, it's good to have you here. How are you? Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. We usually start with some personal background and let's start there. So how did you start with online marketing and when was it? What was the initial motivation? Um, you know, I think the initial motivation for most people who are entrepreneurs is some form of freedom, freedom of time or freedom of location or freedom of money, or maybe you're, you know, working a job that you don't like and you're interested in charting your own path. Um, maybe you're running away from some kind of pain, uh, the pain of, of, you know, being forced to do something with your time that you don't want to do, the pain of being poor or whatever that is. And all those things were true for me. And yeah, I was working a full-time job and I was looking for something more. I was always a hustler. I always had some kind of business scheme going on. Um, but yeah, I stumbled upon online marketing back in 2005 okay. and uh, been doing it ever since. Yeah. What was your first business? Was it e-commerce or something else? And I think people should do this more now who are just getting started. What I did was I, as I was learning skills, you know, pay-per-click or, you know, landing page optimization, I was then selling those as a service as well. So I was essentially getting paid to learn. And I think it's a really good strategy to sell your time for money as you're getting started as a consultant. So you're learning, but you're also making money as you learn. Yeah, makes sense. I totally agree. This is the way how I started as well, kind of freelancer and consultant. And then I added up you know, more and more people. Now we are 30 people. I think we can call it an agency and that's our current model. And then after this, when did you start with e-commerce and what was the next step? Was e-commerce the next step or you did something else? I was doing all the marketing for a life coach. And this was like, now coaching is a mainstream concept. Everybody understands business coach, health coach, relationship coach. Back then there, there was no coaching with not like penetrated the mainstream of society. Yeah. And this guy was selling digitally delivered information on how to become a coach. You know, he was selling eBooks using Google AdWords and it was really good business. And we got that business up to a couple million bucks using Google AdWords and webinars and sales pages and all that kind of stuff. But the problem with information is most people who buy it don't use it, right? They buy it, but they don't actually yeah. consume it. So I wanted to sell something that people would actually use. So that's why I found, I was like, you know, if I sell people an item, I give them a little sumo statue, they're going to use the thing. So yeah, so I found my way over to e-commerce um, and I started, you know, drop shipping all kinds of things. Uh, drop shipping before, this was, you know, drop shipping back then, there was no Alibaba, there was no AliExpress, there was no China, it was American manufacturers. So, you know, bar stools, dog supplies, anything, anything that you could find that somebody had that you could put up on a website. And then when you made a sale, you could go to the manufacturer and say, hey, ship it to this person. My first real like big success was 2007 with costume wigs, Elvis wigs, Afro wigs, mullet wigs, clown wigs, 
you know, troll wigs. Uh, and I did really well with that uh, in the early days of uh, dropship e-commerce. All right. Interesting. I know the story of Zepos, and I think they were founded around 2001 or two, and they also started as a dropshipping company. Yeah. I mean, but the guys who US. you heard of uh, Wayfair. Yeah, sure. Those were, those guys were my competitors. They were like okay. CSV stores back then. I didn't understand scale and team and, you know, systems. I was just a young kid. I was 19 or 20 and, you know, I was doing all the right things, but I didn't understand business or money or systems or structure or team or any of that kind of stuff. So it only got as big as it did when you're a solopreneur, you know, using Elance and Odesk to yeah. hire yeah. designers and developers. And uh, actually, I just listened to your podcast with Andrew from e-commerce fuel. I just listened to it today. I think it was published a few days ago. And you talked about comparing e-commerce and uh, SaaS because you have Zipify and uh, Smart Marketer, which is more like an info product or consultation type of company, a community as well. And you compare the different models, business models. I'm curious what you think about agencies because you didn't mention it. How would you compare it to e-commerce, SaaS, and other businesses? Pros and cons. Well, agencies are a really good model in that you are buying and selling labor. So basically, if you just look at a very high level of an agency, you as the agency owner are buying labor for like $20 to $30 an hour range. If you were to look at the salaries of the people who are actually doing the work in your agency, for the most part, they're probably making 50 grand a year, 60 grand a year. Maybe some of your higher level people are making 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever. But then you're reselling that labor for double or triple the cost to you. And that's a good model because you can have a very high profit margin in an agency. You can have an agency that makes $4 million a year in revenue and a million and a half in profit which is an extreme, the profit margin of an agency model is double or triple the profit margin of an e-commerce business. The issue with an agency is the asset itself is not as valuable to sell as an e-commerce business. And I am building assets to sell. I'm not building businesses to run for cash flow. If you're building a business to run for cash flow and you just want to have a business that makes money and then you pull capital out of it and then you use that capital to you know, buy things, buy assets, build businesses. The other issue with agency is it's a lot of people. You need people to do the work and then you have to deal with people, yeah. Yeah, people who are the customers. And the issue with agencies is if anything isn't going well, it's the agency's fault. So client management is a fucking nightmare. Uh, it's not fun. It's not fun to be a, a service provider to a business owner when something isn't going well in their business. You get all the flack for it. So I don't like dealing with people. I don't want to have to talk to you and deal with you and your bullshit. No interest. So I would never build that model because it's no fun. Now, if you look at Smart Marketer, Molly Pittman, who's running that company now, she just launched an agency. She loves it. She's into it. Good cash flow. She's good at Facebook ads. So she added an agency to that business model. When I was running that business, I never would have done it because I don't find running an agency to be a particularly pleasurable daily business. It's not a lot of fun. E-commerce is a lot of fun. You're sort of removed from the customer in a way. You have customer support, but customer support is like refunds and questions about the product. And you can focus on marketing and product development and sales funnels. And all your focus is on making the product better and making the marketing better. And the customer support's kind of really easy. And so you don't have a lot of like your, your, a lot of your, your day to day is not dealing with people. It's dealing with marketing problems and product problems, which I find to be more compelling problems to solve. And if you're going to run a business, you got to solve problems. So you got to figure out which problems do you think are the most compelling and then focus your business around that. So I think an agency is a good business model for a particular kind of person. It's really good to hear that you are aware of it. I think that's crucial for everyone to be aware of what you like. And people management is definitely the biggest part in an agency, I would say. E-commerce is more about the product. And uh, when it comes to support, then software is probably the category where you need really 
experts of the product, right? Really deep knowledge. Yeah, so- software is definitely the hardest business from a customer support standpoint by far. Let's talk about uh, Boom, your e-commerce company. Uh, when did you start out with this company? What was the initial idea? And I know it was also in Andrew's podcast last year, your revenue was around 40 million. And I know you have a really high customer retention rate. Uh, we started Boom in 2010. The big sales have actually been, well, I guess that would be 12 years ago that I started Boom. I started Boom in 2010. And we really started doing well in 2016. So it was six years into the business okay. that we reached our first multi-million dollar year. And then obviously the last since 2016. So six years have been phenomenal. So first of all, when I was drop shipping, I had a lot of issues with knowing whether or not the uh, supplier had product. Because this was before the this was before online catalogs. I mean, they would give you a spreadsheet and you'd have to fax orders back and mm-hmm. forth. And, and then there was no way when they shipped a product for you to get the tracking number. So you didn't know if you had product in stock. And then once it shipped, you couldn't communicate to the customer where it was. So I thought, you know, it'd be a much better business if I was the person who was making the product instead of relying on someone else's product, building someone else's brand. And so I wanted to make my own product, which is why I started Boom. And I had a friend who was a makeup artist and, you know, and I knew from the life coaching business, I understood back then what was called a newsletter business model, which today you would call an influencer business model, which is a business model built around a persona. And the idea behind that is you are talking to a group of people about a collective experience that they're sharing, like you're doing here on this podcast. The people listening to this are e-commerce business owners. The collective experience that they're sharing is that of running a business, and you are creating content about that experience that is helpful to them. And then eventually you're going to say, hey, if you like me, check out my products and services. So the idea of, you know, of your business coalescing a group of people through content and engaging with them over time about that content and those ideas and that experience and then offering them products and services was something that e-commerce businesses weren't doing back then. You know, you either had like information business, services business, but you didn't have an e-commerce business that was also a media company. And I was one of the first people to kind of pioneer that. And so with Boom, you know, we're talking to women who are over 50 who are experiencing the aging process and everyone telling them that's wrong. Dye your hair, Botox yourself, get cosmetic surgery, wear foundation, cover it up, act like it's aging isn't happening. And you know, some of the first people to say, Hey, aging is okay. It's good. It's a natural part of life. Let's embrace this. So we we are a philosophy company and our philosophy is you're right the way you are. You're beautiful just as you are. You don't need to change. You don't need to try to hide. You don't need to, you know, use cosmetics to cover up. And um, we have products that support that idea. And so, you know, we started a blog back in 2011 and that blog grew into the reason now why we have a 50% repeat customer rate, because we've been blogging and creating content and coalescing a group of people through content around certain ideas. And then we have products that, that back that up. Yeah. First of all, I think it's a good message to young entrepreneurs, the six years, because I have a few friends who are not as patient and they should be. And uh, secondly, do you think uh, every e-commerce business should be like a, I think you use the word philosophy or philosophical company, something like that. And uh, every e-commerce business should be like that, especially D2C brands, small D2C brands, because this is how they can stand out compared to big competitors. I think if you're on Amazon, you don't have to be. Amazon is just all about search volume and ranking for different keywords. But if you're going to be a direct-to-consumer brand that's using social media as a means to acquire customers, I don't think you're going to make it in the long run if you can't coalesce a community through content and create you know, repeat customers. Let's talk about uh, email, SMS, messenger marketing for Boom, because I know it's an important part of this business. Do you do also SMS marketing, messenger, or only email at the moment? 
Uh, we don't do Messenger. We don't believe in Facebook Messenger. We think it's just a terrible communication medium. You only have like 24 hours to talk to somebody. It's not worth it, in our opinion. We do SMS. Yeah, SMS a lot. Yeah. And SMS is like, there's nothing special. SMS, you want the 80-20 of SMS. Have your pop-up. Have the ability to collect a phone number as well. Use SMS in your abandoned cart and post-purchase and behavioral automation sequences. And then once a week, send an SMS of whatever your best content was or whatever your sale was to your subscribers. That's all you need to do. It's like not that complex. You can do more, but if you want to get 80% of the value, have it in your pop-up, have it in your behavioral automations and send one text message a week with your best content or whatever your promotion is and have it as a support channel where people can text you if they have questions. And I think the crucial part of SMS is the opt-in because once you have the contacts, the ROI is amazing with SMS, except if you spam them too hard. But uh, to get their phone number, that's I think that's the hardest part. You get it via abandoned cart and you get it when someone checks out and then you have it on your pop-up, that's enough. I mean, look at every big brand. That's what they're doing. They've got it on their pop-up and they're getting it via abandoned cart. And when people check out, you get 85%, 90% of the value doing that. Could you also go extra and run ads and try to get people to, sure, but you don't need to. One thing we just started applying, we have a two-step pop-up in the first model window. There is an offer for email and then in the second. Yeah, and then you get, hey, I get an extra 5%. Sure, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Have it in your pop-up, have it at checkout and you don't need anything more than that. I mentioned Andrew's po podcast a few times now, and uh, in that podcast, you talked about another uh, beauty brand. I think it was called uh, Overtone. What's the story there? The story there is told on Andrew's podcast. So what you could do <laughs> is you could go to e-commerce fuel and you could just listen to me tell that whole story, or I could tell it again here if you want, but I have told it in great depth on that podcast. I'll give you a high level because I don't want to retell the whole story. I just told it two days ago. High level is I bought a company and I, uh, that was losing money and I turned it around in 90 days. And if you want in-depth on how I turned it around, you can go listen to that podcast uh, called E-Commerce Fuel. But the idea is, you know, once you've reached a certain level of success, it's a lot easier to buy assets than it is to build them. Building is hard. Building takes a long time. And, you know, money is generally made in decade cycles, like real wealth, real true wealth takes about 10 years. You know, you might buy a business and grow it and sell it. You might build a business and then sell it. But you're going to make true wealth does not come from cash flow doesn't come from having a job and making some cash. doesn't come from building a business and pulling cash out of the business. True wealth comes from asset liquidation. And if you look at like the baby boomer generation, what they did was they took the money from their 401ks and their jobs. Those were their cash flow vehicles. And they invested that in real estate asset. And then they let that asset appreciate over 20 or 30 years. And then they sold the asset later for a meaningful amount of money. That's true wealth generation. So from a business perspective, if you're not building your business to one day sell it, you're missing out on 80 or 90% of the money that could be made in that business. The business itself is the asset and selling it is where you generate that true wealth. Or you have a business like yours, maybe you don't intend to sell it, although you can sell an agency. If you're kicking off cash flow, you take that money and you invest it in assets, either buying businesses, building businesses, buying real estate, whatever. But your true wealth is going to come from buying assets and then giving those assets time to appreciate or optimizing those assets so that they appreciate quickly, which is what I do with businesses. I buy businesses that I think are stressed or under-optimized, and then I make them better, and then I sell them because that's a much quicker vehicle to wealth creation. I mean, how, how old are you? 30. You're 30. So how much longer are you going to be doing this at this pace? 15 years, 20 years till you're 50? I certainly am not. I'm 35. I'm not going to work at this pace for much longer. I've got, you know, building a family. I got stuff I'm doing. I enjoy my work. It's really fun. But at the end of the day, I'm engaging in work to produce resource that I can use to take care of my family, support my community, and then use towards causes in the world that I find noble, that I want to support. 
I'm not in business just to be in business. I'm in business to generate resource so I can fucking use that resource towards good things. So I want to do that as quick as I can. And so I got like 15 years. If I only have 15 years left at this pace, which is definitely the longest I have at this pace, and I need to make $100 million, which is about what I want to make, post-tax money, by the way, not pre-tax money. So that's like $200 million I need to pay myself. Yeah. I'm not going to get there through cash flow businesses. I'm going to get there through asset liquidation. And I'm not going to get there through building assets because I don't have the time to build the businesses because it takes forever. I'm about to sell a percentage of my company, Zipify. I've been working on that company since 2014. I'm eight years into it. If Okay, if I'm going to build companies and it takes me eight years to get them to maturity where I can sell them, why am I going to build two more companies in the next 16 years or four? It's like you have to buy assets at a certain point. If you're, by the way, not everybody's goal is wealth creation or massive wealth creation. I'm not even saying that's a goal that you should have, but if it is one thing- Most people, they don't have it actually. Yeah, no worries. All really good. Down. You know, it's not like this is the righteous path that everybody needs to follow. No, hey, this is one path and it's a path that I am interested in because I want to do things in the world that require massive amounts of resource. And so in order to get there, the path is buy assets, optimize them so that they appreciate and sell them. At the moment you have- three or even more companies. I'm really curious how, how you manage them. Well, I, I don't. I have 150 team members who manage them. Yeah. So uh, that is your main focus now and in the past, how, how it looked like? So I just put out a three-part video series. And in this three-part series, I go through hiring and training, which is step one, right? Delegating, building a team so that you can uh, remove yourself as the bottleneck from the company growth. Yeah. So you can scale comes from outside yourself. Then I go through systems and processes, which are what you need in businesses for them to function. There needs to be systems and processes that are repetitive, that are happening consistently. And then I go through money management. Those are the three areas that you need to scale a business. Hiring and training, systems and processes, and money management. And we only have like six minutes left on this, but I'll give you a link to the three-part, three free videos. It leads to a course I'm selling on how you do this, but you don't have to buy the course. These three videos, like an hour of content, and it's really phenomenal stuff on my philosophy around scaling companies, which is get the fuck out of the way and create systems and processes, hold the vision, hold the container, you know, navigate. If you're on the road driving, you can't see what's up in, up in the distance. If you're driving the car, you're never going to get out of the driver's seat. So you need to let somebody else drive. You need to get up and start navigating. You have to make that shift from driver to navigator. And if you never make the shift from driver to navigator, you will not scale your company. But if you can figure out how to make that shift from, and I did my you know, first seven or eight years of my career, I was driving the car. And the last yeah. seven or eight years, I've been navigating the ships. And that's a much better position and better skill set if the goal is scale. Again, sometimes the goal isn't scale. Sometimes the goal is I love my business. It's a lifestyle business. I like pulling cash flow out of it. I don't care how big it gets. I just want to make enough money to feed my family and I enjoy what I'm doing. Rock and roll. I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I'm just saying this is the way I have chosen to do it because my goal is scale. And you can definitely see this exponential growth by time, right? Because at the beginning, everything takes time. Building is hard, a lot of work. But after a while, you can buy assets and sell them and it, it just gets exponential, persistent, buy and build multiple businesses. Yeah, the way I think about it is kind of like a snowball. And most people, as the snowball of their business starts to go, they start pulling out of it. And so the snowball can never really pick up steam because they're just pulling money out of the business, yeah. spending it on yeah. frivolous bullshit. But what you should do is get a part-time job that pays your bills, which is what I did. Work the part-time job so it pays your bills and then just reinvest 100% back into your business so the snowball can build. And then eventually when you start pulling from it, it's big enough that it can sustain that. So a lot of people cut the legs out from under their business because they pull the money out as soon as it begins to make money. Whereas if they had just reinvested 100% back in, it would have been able to get big. I have one more question to you, which is uh, speed and quality. In today's world, uh, I think speed is more important than ever. 
but uh, we just talked about it with a few copywriters the other day that uh, 60 years ago, I wanted to send a physical mail to 1 million people and I had a few weeks to prepare and to write the copy. And today at Creative, it exhausts after a few days, let's say, especially on TikTok, let's say. So the whole cycle is much faster. Do you think it's true or can you see that we have to choose between quality versus speed or that's not really a thing? I think it depends on the medium that you are speaking about. So if the medium that you're speaking about is written copy, I mean, I think some people are great copywriters and they can write something really wonderful quickly. If the medium is like product development, that takes time. You know, Zipify, it's a software product, immeasurably a thousand times, 10,000 times better eight years into its life cycle than it was in year one. Boom by Cindy Joseph. These bottles, they're screen printed now. They're sustainable. I mean, I didn't have the money and I didn't have the know-how to do that at first. I was using regular one-time use plastic with labels on it. So, so certain mediums are going to, if you refine them and work on them, get better over time. But I don't know that copy. I mean, look, if you're writing a novel or you're writing something, the more you do it, the more you work on it, you can probably make it better. Sure. I can tell you a different example. So let's say Zipify, which is a software company versus Boom or even smart marketer, because let's say in software, Shopify changes something, then tomorrow maybe everything crashes. I don't know. But I guess e-commerce has a, a slower cycle and smart marketer. Is that a thing or? So the, the question is, does speed hinder the quality of a product? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you see differences between different uh, business models when it comes to speed and uh, the speed of reaction to changes? I mean, I think you do the best you can with the information that you have. And then when new information comes in, you change your strategy based on that new information and you continue to do the best you can. So you move as quickly as you can while holding, you know, standard of whatever quality you're committed to. Like we can only move as quickly as we can if we're waiting on, you know, if, we, if we're committed to sustainable ingredients and it takes longer to get those. Some people might put out some bullshit that's not sustainable that came from a sweat factory in China. We're not going to do that. So I think you just move as quickly as you can move. Obviously, you want to move quickly. Uh, the faster you move, the better. But we have standards that we're unwilling to not adhere to. And so yeah. we can only move as quickly as we can. And also part of those standards include how we treat our people. You know, we won't ask people to work 80 hour. We won't ask people to pull all nighters. And so we will move slower. But ultimately in the long run, we won't burn out. So we're just like, we're like a little engine that could. We're just going. And so maybe we're moving slower at certain times than other people, but we're staying on the track longer and therefore we get further. So, you know, speed is great and useful but not at the expense of quality or people. You should have those standards in your business and with your people, I think. Yeah, and it's, you know, those standards come after, you've made, after you're successful, right? Like when I was younger and I had just starting out, I was willing to play more gray areas because I was hungry and I needed to eat. Mm -hmm. Hungry people will do funny things, you know? But once you're fed and you're satiated, you're like, okay, I can breathe and be like, what do I believe in? What do I stand for? Whereas before, yeah. when you're just scrapping, you're fighting for scraps, you're kind of a little more willing to play the gray lines. Some coaches, they say that uh, you should have abundance in your mind and all of that. But if you don't have money and if you don't have certain things and success, I think it's harder. It's just harder to keep those. So thanks for being here today. And thanks for sharing all of these. Also, thanks everyone who listened to us today. If you like this interview, then uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, if you listen to this podcast, then uh, feel free to give us an honest review. Also, Ezra mentioned uh, his course. We can uh, put that into the description so everyone can check those out. And uh, stay tuned, everyone. Now we have two episodes every week. Thanks again. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.